I won't promise better, a little longer. Uh, that first one was five minutes. That's what Leo would love to have, but he's not here. He didn't get it, okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter four, 4 and verse 9. Let me just say I appreciate the invitation to be back home, uh, to be in my home church, and I owe this church a lot. Maybe everything. And so I appreciate those who poured into my life and made a difference. And I appreciate coming again and sharing God's word. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 9, 10, and 11. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. And then the Lord said, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, which thou hast not labored, Neither madest it grow, which came up in the night, and perished in the night. Now notice what he asks. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons which cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Notice what God asked Jonah. Should not I spare, or should not I have pity on Nineveh? I believe that's the theme of the book. I believe that's what God's intended to teach us out of the book of Jonah, that I should have pity on Nineveh. If you just go back to chapter 4 and verse 2, as God has not destroyed the city as Nineveh, as Jonah had hoped that he would, there's this conversation, and in it, Jonah says, was that not what I said when I was in my country? In essence, the reason I rejected the call, the reason I got on the boat to Tarshish was because I believed you were going to have pity on Nineveh. And so God is teaching Jonah, as well as teaching us, that I have a right to have pity on Nineveh. It's a similar story given to us in Luke chapter 9, as Jesus passes through Samaria. His face is steadfast toward Jerusalem. They would not, the Samaritans, receive him. James and John said, Lord, let us call down fire from heaven, as did the prophet Elijah. Jesus' answered, was this, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. The very heart and mission of Jesus was not to destroy, but was to save them. He came to seek and save that which is lost. So with this little liberty, let us say, should I not destroy Nineveh, or should I not destroy or spare Poto? And I'm convinced within this book, there is something for us to consider why God should and does spare the city of Nineveh. I think the first reason is, is we need to first of all see our sins. It's easy to see the sins of others, difficult to see our own sins. When the Bible describes Nineveh in the book of Jonah, it describes it as a wicked city, great evil. In chapter 3, when the king describes their own city, his own city, he talks about having evil ways and violence in their hands. 
the book Nahum, two books later, describes Nineveh as a bloody city full of lies and robberies. Number of bodies and corpses laying all over so that you stumble on them. Multitudes of harlots, seductive harlots, mistresses of sorcery who are destroying families through their sorcery. There's no doubt that Nineveh is a wicked city. Now, Nineveh is thematically close to what Sodom is, another biblical city that God destroyed. When God cried out against Sodom, he called it, their sins have come up to me, or or, they've come up to me. And when the Bible describes Nineveh, it's as though the same sins are coming up to God. This is a city of great wickedness. In fact, it's described that God was going to over throw the city, the same terms that Jonah used in chapter 3, verse 4, he was going to overthrow Nineveh. Now look back with me at verse 1 of chapter 4. Notice what he says here, and it pleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Literal translation of that phrase is, but it was evil to Jonah with great evil. In fact, the same word God uses to describe the Ninevite, now God is describing the prophet. You see, just as the Ninevites were out of fellowship with God because they were evil, now Jonah is being described as evil out of fellowship with God. So Jonah could see the sins of the Ninevites, but could not see his own evil ways. Now, we're taught this throughout all of scriptures. In fact, Romans 1 tells us that God has thrown us over, turned us over to a reprobate mind. Out of that, there's unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and the words go on and on and on. He describes the heathens, the Ninevites, that's their sin. Then he goes to chapter 2 and describes the Hebrews, the righteous, those who think they're in fellowship with God. He says these words, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you judge, you judge for any, whatsoever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who practice the same thing. It would be wise to recognize that we want God to spare the city They're evil because we have the same sins in our lives. The equivalent to this story may be in Luke chapter 18. Where the Pharisee stood and prayed and said, I'm thankful I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterer. I pay tithes. I attend the synagogue. I do my best, Lord. But the tax collector said it best when he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need to understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are depraved like the Ninevites are depraved. And the only thing that makes a difference is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 13, he talks about the Galileans who were killed in the temple. And here's what he said to them. You believe there are sinners above all men. And then he turns to him and says, except ye repent, because you are sinners also. The tower fell on 18 and they perished. 
You believe there are sinners above. Then he declares, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We want God to spare and have pity on the Ninevites because we are like them. And we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jonah had forgotten he was no different than Ninevites. I think the second reason in this book that we ought to spare the city of the Ninevites, we need to see the character of God. Look with me at verse 2. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For here's what he says. For I know thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thou of evil. Now, these words are found often throughout Scripture. Particularly, we find them in Exodus chapter 33, after Israel had fallen into idolatry and made the golden calf. And God was ready to blot them out until Moses prayed. And Moses' desire was to see God. But God said, you can't see me face to face lest you die. And so God reveals himself, the hinder parts, and what God really reveals himself is through these words. God reveals himself as a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, relenting of all of evil. Here is this great word that God is gracious, used 13 times in the Old Testament. It illustrates how God shows grace upon us. It's found in Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 through 27 as a demonstration and an example of what it means to be gracious. And here's how it's described in our personal relationships with others. If you take your neighbor's clothes as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his clothes is the only covering he has for his body. When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am gracious." It helps me understand why I ought to turn the other cheek. It helps me understand when I fight or sue over my coat, I give him my coat. It helps me understand why if he wants to go a mile, go two miles. Because God has been gracious to me, I in turn ought to be gracious to others. And that's what John is saying. I know, God, you are gracious. But he also says, God, I know you are compassionate which comes from the term to be a soft like a womb. He had compassion on the Ninevites as though they were his own children. Isn't that what the sailors and the Ninevites said? Who knows if God will have compassion on us? Who knows if God will think of us? You see, we understand God's pity and desire to spell because, spare because who God is. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He also uses another attribute that he is slow to anger, which means he is forbearing. I think we understand it best as long suffering. He postpones. That's interesting when you read Jonah's message. It's not a very long message. But he talks about God overthrowing the city, how long? Forty days. That speaks of God's long-suffering. That speaks of God's pity. 
Proverbs 16 and verse 32 says this, Better a patient man, one slow to anger than a warrior. Jonah disagrees that God should be patient any longer. But God is long-suffering and patient. And then he is abounding in love. And maybe that's best understood by God having a relentless love toward us. It's really the modern Hebrew word for grace. In Psalms 136, 26 times it speaks of God's steadfast love. And the best illustration of that is found in the book of Hosea, when Hosea was to betroth or marry a prostitute. And she would stray and wander away from him and be an adulteress. But God commands him to love her. We love her relentlessly. Pursue her. And that's the description of what Jonas, God's saying to Jonah, listen, I'm relentless. I am pursuing. And let me just remind you, did he not pursue Jonah relentlessly? And bring him to the city to preach the message? Aren't you thankful in your own personal life that you have enjoyed God's relentless, unconditional love for you? And then he relents from sending calamity. God is a compassionate and loving God. The best way to describe that love is an agonizing compassion. Maybe describe best when we see that our children are strained, out of fellowship with God. We love them, but we agonize with love. There's a brokenness in our love for them. And God saw the sinfulness of the Ninevites. He understood the sinfulness of Jonah. And God relentlessly, with unconditional love, agonizing to draw them back in fellowship with him. So why should God spare the city? Because Jonah's a sinner like the Ninevites. Why should God spare the city? Because he is compassionate. He is gracious. He has unrelenting love, agonizing love. God desires to have fellowship with you and I. But I think there's another reason that God spares Nineveh. Because we believe in a gospel that is for whosoever will. It is clear when you read this book and travel through the pages of it, you discover that God is reaching out to all. I already mentioned to you how God pursued Jonah on the boat. How God pursued him in the sea. How God was pursuing him in the belly of the great fish. And then when he stood and sought and waited for Nineveh to perish, God still was pursuing after Jonah. But not only did he pursue after Jonah, I'm convinced he was pursuing after the sailors. I'm not sure what nationality they were, but whoever they were, God was desiring to have fellowship with them. All the sailors had an opportunity to come to relationship with God in the midst of that Storm. If that's not enough, it's clearly evident that God was pursuing all of the Ninevites. The greatest to the least. 
to the 120,000 that did not know their right hand from their left hand. And even, surprisingly, the livestock. So in this book of Jonah, there is this desire for all to come in fellowship with God. It is not my nature in preaching to have a long reading of a quote, but I want to do it just for a moment as I speak to you about this whosoever will. Listen to what a preacher by the name, a Scottish preacher by the name of McLeod said. Who has a right to believe? Who has a right to come to Christ? Every human being without exception. Whatsoever is entitled to come to Christ and take him as his Savior. Every man as a man, every sinner as a sinner, the foulest, the vilest, the most vicious, in the strongest terms I can use, they have a right to come to God. This is based clearly on the emphasis of the Word of God. For example, God commands man everywhere to believe. No one exempt from that command. We have a right to come to Christ. Whomsoever we are because God commands us to come to Christ. We have a right because God offers an invitation to come to Christ. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45. Come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Matthew 11 and 28. Let the wicked forsake their way. Let them return to the Lord. Isaiah 55, 7. The offer is universal. There is a universal divine promise. If we believe, we can be saved. The reward is conditional upon our belief. But God's promise is categorically, without a doubt, made to all. All can be saved. The question that I ask today is the same question. It appears that Simon Peter asked after the rich young ruler refused to follow Jesus. Who then can be saved? Well, the answer is what Jesus gave. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Nowhere do I read in the scriptures where it says that God came to save Bob Thompson. But I do read this. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chiefest. He says again, who desires all men to be saved. Simon Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. But it's long-suffering to all. So all can repent. Let me give you another reason why he should spare the city. Because if he doesn't, they will perish. The same word that God used for Sodom, overthrown, is the same word he used for Nineveh. When you read the word perish... Almost always, the subject is God. Which declaring that in perishing follows judgment. It would be my understanding 
when the Ninevites heard this message that God would overthrow the city, they used the word disaster. As though they perceived some enemy would come in and ransack the city, tear down the walls, and utterly destroy everybody in the city. But they also understood that that's the case after that is judgment, which is simply what all of us believe. It's the point of man wants to die, and after that, what? Judgment. So if we perish physically, then we face judgment, and we can in turn perish spiritually. So the reason we share this gospel is because men are perishing and in need of Jesus Christ. Psalm says this, those who are far from you shall perish. Therefore, he goes on to say, it is good for men to draw near to God. The Apostle Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade The reason God spares the city is because they are perishing. The old song says, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep, O the erring one, lift up the falling. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. What Jesus will say. Should we spare the city? Yes, because we're sinners. Should we spare the city? Yes. God's character declares the city needs to be spared. Should he spare the city? Yes. Everyone should have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Should he spare the city? Yes. The city is perishing in desperate need of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm frustrated with the ending of Jonah. I want to know what happened to Jonah. I mean, he's been reprimanded already more than once. So what does he do? I read where there was a tomb of Jonah in Iraq, which is a city they believe to have been Nineveh that was destroyed by ISIS. I'm not sure what the significance of that is, but... Some concept that maybe Nineveh stayed over and remained in the city. But I think one of the things we can take from no ending, we could write our own ending, couldn't we? You can put yourself with Jonah and decide how the book ought to end. Now, I don't know about you, but when there's no ending to the story, I kind of lose closure. Now, no one enjoys a movie if you don't know how it ends, really. The ending really does matter. But let me take this in consideration. Just the placement of the book of Jonah throughout the Minor Prophets. First of all, understand that the book of Jonah is not from a prophet. It's about a prophet. This is not a message from a prophet like Hosea, Micah, Zechariah. This is about the prophet Jonah. A disobedient and petulant prophet nonetheless so it, it's not about a message it's about the prophet himself Obadiah the book before shortest of the minor prophets is a diatribe tribe against the Edomites skip Micah go to Nahum and I already mentioned that book it is about the destruction of the Ninevites read all the prophets it's about retribution Justice, death, 
and destruction. But stop at the book of Jonah, and it's about mercy, compassion, grace, and love. It has an ending. It has an ending to declare that God is compassionate and merciful to sinners. And my ending is, I'm the chiefest of sinners. God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. You know, it really didn't end with the book of Jonah. Because Jonah is quoted in the New Testament. Or referred to in the New Testament. The first of all, Jonah's a sign of the resurrection. Remember the verse? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of great fish. So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. So Jonah is not ended. The story's still going on because there's a resurrection. Listen to what the Bible says. The abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection. There's an end to Jonah. He declares the resurrection brings mercy to all. But there's another ending, because it also says there's a greater than he, there's a greater of Jonah here preaching. That's Jesus. And he's preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me tell you the final reason why we need the city to be spared. If you look at verse 9 of chapter 3, Here's what the king says. Who knows? In essence, I don't know what God's going to do. But look at verse 2 of chapter 4 and listen to what Jonah says. I know that God is compassionate. Here's what the world can say. Here's what Poto can say to the First Free Baptist Church. Who knows if God could have compassion? You know what our answer would be? I know. See, we're responsible because we know. Now, I still believe they're responsible because even though they don't know, that's for another sermon that Corey can preach. But I know what God can do. And if I know what God can do, should I not share what I know about God to the Ninevites and to the city of Poto? Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, we're thankful for the privilege and opportunity to be here today to share your word and its truth. I ask that you speak to us, that you challenge us, and God, you remind us, I know. I know what you can do. I know what your gospel preach can do. I know hearing your word from this pulpit what it can do. I know. They may not know, but God, I know. Which sets before me a grave responsibility. God, let me best fulfill that responsibility.